Would you take your Bibles? We're coming to the end of 1 John, and uh, we'll look at it one more Sunday next Sunday. But today, we're looking at verse 16 and 17 of the fifth chapter of 1 John. We have been studying and preaching through 1 John for a number of weeks and uh, months and uh, I've been praying about what I should, uh, uh, where I should go when I finish First John. And it seems like that the Lord continues to uh, direct my attention to the book of Ephesians. And so we may begin a series of messages on the book of Ephesians in a couple of weeks. But uh, until then, we'll uh, certainly finish out First John. I love 1 John. I love the writings of 1 John. John is uh, a man that who had devoted his whole life to the gospel. He wrote those chapters in the gospel of John, trying to encourage and trying to persuade, trying to teach and convince individuals to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Two words that stands out in the epistles of John, and that's the word love and the word know. And it's those two words, is that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you experience the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in these five chapters... He has been expressing that, that desire of knowing that we have that assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet at the same time, coming today in these passages of scriptures, John begins to direct his attention toward a very serious, serious matter. Of all the writers of the New Testament, John becomes and is well known of bringing out something that no other writer has written about. And that is the seriousness of sin. Now, when I say that, you say, well, Pastor, all the writers are talk about sin. And of course they do. But I don't think there's one that writes about the seriousness of sin to the point like John does. Now, I think there are things that we need to be serious about. I think there's many people today, certainly as they look at their homes, and they need to be serious about their marriage, realizing and recognizing that that, that marriage is a picture of the bride and the groom, and, and there's no other description that describes the church any greater than the bride and the groom. So your marriage is a description of the church, and your marriage is a description of the kingdom of God. It's a description of the of God's reigning and ruling in your life. And so marriage is a very serious matter. Families are very serious. I don't know of a time that, as I see it today, that we're seeing the attacks on the family like we're seeing today. 
the attack that is attacking uh, our children and our young people like Satan is attacking today. It's a serious matter. We as a church are trying to come to a point and an understanding in what prayer is all about. And by the way, I encourage you to be here tonight as we uh, are studying about the battle plan for prayer. And, and one of the things that you'll notice is, is that, that the important matter of praying for that family and praying for those children. I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest responsibilities of a parent is to pray for a hedge of protection around those children as they go off to school or they go off to college or wherever they may be going. But you know what? When you think about God, God is serious. And when you think about God, God is serious about a certain matter, and that is sin. And that's exactly what John addresses today. He addresses the seriousness of sin. He even talks about a sin unto death. You don't hear a lot about that today. No other writer, I think, addresses it as well as John addresses it. And he addresses this seriousness of a child of God habitually sinning and will not listen to the convicting hand and the rebuking word of God. And he continues to sin. And the Bible says he sins unto death to the point of where God takes him out of this world. If there's ever a message for a child of God to to hear, I believe it's the message that is for the hour of today. Because, my friend, I want you to understand, we live in a society today where we kind of laugh at sin. We live in a society today where comedians are making fun of sin. And if he can, the devil knows that if he can get you to laugh at sin, he can get you to not take it very serious. So with your Bibles open, let's uh, begin to look at these two verses of Scripture. Chapter 5 of 1 John, verses 16 and 17. Would you stand with me as we begin to look at these two verses? Verses of Scripture. John has given us a description as well as he's also assigning us to a task. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who is for those who is commit sin not leading to death there is sin leading to death i do not say that he should pray about that all unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death what in the world is john talking about 
We're going to discuss that for a few moments today. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to a point and a place that we realize that we are at a very serious moment. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would help us to understand the seriousness of this passage of Scripture. And Father, we pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, anoint us with your power, and may the words that will proceed out of my mouth will come from the heart of Almighty God. Lord, allow me not to say anything that would not be of of your choosing. Allow me not to do anything that would not be of your approval. Oh, dear God, we pray that today that you might manifest yourself to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think it's interesting as you began to study this passage of Scripture, of how John breaks down this very serious matter called sin. First of all, you'll notice there in verse 17, he says that all sin is failure. All sin is failure. Listen to what he says in verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. All unright that sort of begins to describe to us of the seriousness of sin. There are two categories of sin, John tells us. There is the category of sin that does not lead to death. And then he says there is the category of sin that does lead to death. Lead to death? What in the world is John describing to us? He is saying here, all unrighteousness is sin. We live in a world today, do we not? Where the world does not want to talk about sin. You go into a lot of churches today and you won't hear the word sin any longer. It's this feel-good type of church that many people are seeking today. It is this feel-good types of preaching that people are wanting today. They don't want to hear what sin is all about. And yet John here begins to describe it to us that sin is a very predominant problem within our society. The Bible says all have sin, does it not? All have sin and come short of the glory of God. I was reading just the other day of where 90% of France, of all the French population, does not believe in sin. Well, that's understandable. If you don't believe in sin, there's not accountability to, about sin, is there? And so, therefore, if we do not believe in sin, we don't want to even conceive the idea that there is such a thing as sin. 
And yet the Bible tells us that the mother of all sin is unbelief. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The mother's sin of all sins is unbelief. We live in a nation, do we not? That says there's no such thing as sin any longer. When was the last time you've heard a TV announcer or a TV reporter and says, we've got a major problem and the problem is sin? I dare say you'll hear that. You turn on the 6 o'clock news tomorrow night and you'll hear the results of sin. But you won't hear anybody talk about that the problem is sin. They will say that the problem is environment. They'll say the problem is education. But they will not say that the problem is sin. You will not hear the president stand up and say at the State of the Union that the number one problem that we're going to attack this year is sin. You will not hear that. You will not hear the Congress or the Senate to bring up a bill and say, we're attacking the number one problem of America today, and that is sin. Satan's done a very good job on us, has he not? To deceive us from the problem of sin. And yet we look around us and we see the results and the characteristics of it all Different directions. So, my friend, as I began to think about, as they began to talk about to us today, AIDS is the problem. The problem with homosexuality, they say, is AIDS. Well, the problem is the home, the problem of homosexuality is a sin against Almighty God. But you won't hear that, will you? It's a custom today to live together. It's a custom today for men and women live and cohabitate together that are not married. And that is just society, do they say? But as far as I can tell in my Bible, the Bible still calls that sin. And yet, we are afraid to call that out. The problem today, we call adulteries, affairs. God says in his word that is sin. The abortion, we call that a termination of pregnancy. God calls that murder. And he calls that sin. So, what is sin? Let me share with you two definitions of sin. Number one, sin is the failure to obey the commandments of God. Sin is the failure to obey the almighty commandments of a holy God. Chapter 3, verse 4 is a passage of Scripture 
that reminds us exactly what it's all about. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 4. Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. In other words, the Bible said that sin is breaking the law of Almighty God. It's breaking the law of a holy God. Now, you stop and you think about it just for a moment. There's really three different ways that you can break the law of God. You stop and think just for a moment. Now, how can I break the law of God? Well, you can break the law of God by thought. You can break the law of God by word. You can break the law of God by what I would call deed. As you go back and you study in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed those three different types of sins. You can categorize all sin under those three categories. Number one, he tells us that if a man lusts after a a woman in his heart, he has committed adultery with her. Now, what is a type of sin is that? Of course, that is a sin. That is a sin of thought. That's a sin of thought. No one can see that, but yet Almighty God recognizes that. And then, of course, he talked about, he says that uh, not only by thought, but also by word. The Bible reminds us. It says that if you look at a brother and call him, you fool, you have spoken a word of sin. We understand how that is so easily done today. By speaking, it brings forth many times the breaking the law of God of sin. And then, of course, the sin of deed. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And so, therefore, the Bible says that is a sin of deed, something that you have done. So, you can categorize Sin in one of three ways, by word, by fault, by deed. And we recognize that today. But you know what? There's a lot of people today think that the Bible is a rule book. And that, uh, that all this Bible is is nothing but a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you were to put all of your do's and don'ts together, you'd have to have a box car load, a railroad uh, train to be able to get all of the rules of the do's and the don'ts fit within that. The Bible is not that way. I had a, I had a young person come to me one time and says, uh, Well, pastor, show me in the Bible. Where it's wrong to go and see X-rated movies. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that it's wrong to go and see X-rated movies. Because they didn't have X-rated movies when the Bible was written at the time. But the Bible does say this, does it not? Let not the eye cast itself upon evil. 
Does not the Bible say as well, whatever things that are lovely, pure, and holy, and acceptable, and true, think on these things. So my friend, there's this Bible is not a rule book of do's and don'ts. But it certainly gives you guidance and it gives you direction. And as well as the Holy Spirit of God begins to guide you and direct you according to the will of the Father as well. So, number one, sin is a failure to obey the commandment of God. But number two, sin is a failure to honor the character of God. The Bible says in verse 17, did you not notice how it it plainly states it so well in verse 17, where he says, all unrighteousness is sin. There is sin not leading to death. Now, what in the world is he talking about as he begins to talk about? We understand that only God is righteous. The Bible reminds us that all of us, of our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. But we're reminded, as the Bible says in Psalms 11, verse 7, the Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. My friend, when you live a righteous life, you're living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. When you live a life that is sensitive to sin and that you try to stay away from sin, the Bible says you become pleasing to the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's perjury on the witness stand or when you're telling a little white lie, my friend, That is unrighteousness. It doesn't matter. But you notice what the Bible says in this uh, this passage of Scripture. The Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. Have you stopped to think about that? All unrighteousness is sin. I have... um, I'm amazed of how there are people today that loves to get around this idea of alcohol. And they began to say, well, you know, pastor, there's nothing wrong to take a little drink every now and then. Why, Christians can drink and, and, and not sin. Well, let me just ask you a few questions about that. Would that hinder or hurt your, uh, or help your testimony? You say, well, it really wouldn't matter whether it affects my testimony. Well, let me ask you a question for a few moments. If you walked into a restaurant and you saw your pastor over there with a, uh, a martini sitting at his uh, table, Would that hinder or help my testimony? I think it would hurt it, would it not? Well, why is my testimony any different than your testimony? I'm amazed, I'm amazed, to be honest with you, where people say, well, alcohol is a disease. 
Have you ever stopped to think about this, that it's the only disease that is contracted by the act of the will? It is the only disease that requires a license to sell it. It is the only disease that requires outlets to spread it. It is the only disease that produces revenue for the government. It is the only disease that provokes violent crimes. It's the only disease that more than 50,000 Americans perished in automobile accidents last year because of that disease, if you call it. What I would like to know, if alcohol is a disease, instead of of curing the victim, why don't we just eliminate the cause? You're saying, Pastor, you get a little personal today. All unrighteousness is sin, I believe. And I just personally, and if you don't agree with me, you come up to me afterward and apologize and I will forgive you. But I just personally believe that a child of God, that his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that you should be careful what you allow to go into that body. Change the subject just a little bit. I I was reading uh, an article out of Sports Illustration several months ago. And there was an article that said something like this. And I thought it was rather interesting. It says, blank love life detailed. Called the guy's name. I'm not going to call his name. But his love life detailed. And, and, and in that article, it talked about he just got married and he was a very dynamic Christian. But he had, had impregnated two other ladies before he got married. And now they're asking him to step up and to be responsible and pay for the births and certainly to in, in to um, take care of those children as they grow older. This is what he said. I want to live up to my moral obligation, which I feel strongly about because I'm a Christian. I thought, woohoo. You really sound like a Christian. However, in both cases, I was led to believe I was not responsible for birth control. Now, let me ask you, did that help his testimony? (laughs) Absolutely not. All unrighteousness is sin, the Bible says. And so the Bible reminds us that... Sin is failure. But secondly, I want you to see something else. Not all sin, not only all sin is failure, but some sins are fatal. 
Look what the Bible says in verse 16 once again. The Bible says in verse 16 of chapter 5, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. Now let me ask you a question. What is sin unto death? What is John talking about here? In verse 16, I want you to cross out the the letter A. And it would read something like this because it has no indefinite article in the Greek in that passage of Scripture. It really reads it this way. There is sin leading to death. In other words, what he is saying here today is that there is a kind of a habitual, non-repented, unremorseful sin that ultimately leads to physical death. Boy, that will get our attention. That will get our attention. In other words, that there is a possibility of a child of God who lives in sin, unremorseful, unrepentive, unconfessing, and he continues to live in that sin, and continues to live in that sin, and continues to live in that sin, until finally God says, enough is enough. And God takes him out so that his soul may be saved, the Bible says. That verse tells me that he's dealing with a physical death, not the spiritual death, but a physical death. He's telling me that he's not dealing with losing one's salvation, for the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. As you go back and study the New Testament scripture, you'll begin to discover that there's three very good examples of men and women who have committed sin unto death. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. And it talks about a sin of spiritual disobedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 says, it, it says that it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality has not even been named among the Gentiles that a man has had his father's wife. There in the church of Corinth, there was a man that was committing fornication with a woman that was either his 
stepmom or his mother-in-law. Open sin in the life of that church. The church did not address it. And he did not address it. And the Bible says that because of that very terrible open sin, that God took him out. God took him out. Now that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. It's sin unto death. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope this is the case. I fear God. I fear God. I respect him, I honor him, I reverence his name, but I fear him. That God loves me too much to allow me to continue to sin and openly abuse the name of a holy God. I know of a pastor that was sexually involved with four different ladies in a congregation. The church did not deal with it. And they continued to allow him to pastor, and they continued to allow him to preach. And at the early age of 43, he died of a sudden heart attack. You say, well, that was just coincidence, Pastor. I believe it was sin unto death. I believe that God says, you're not going to abuse my name. You're not going to abuse my church. You're not going to abuse my kingdom and laugh at this thing of sin in your life. There's a second illustration. And that was found in Acts chapter 5, verses 3, 4, and 5. Not only a sin of spiritual disobedience, but there's a sin of spiritual deception. And in this passage of Scripture... The Bible says, but Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then I, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last breath, I believe what it would have said. So great fear came upon all of those who heard these things. Here was what was happening. There was a 
there in the church in Antioch. They were taking up, they were in part of a building campaign and they were taking up offerings and they were sharing those offerings with the needs of the community and the needs of the people of that day. Ananias and Sapphire was a very wealthy uh, individual, he and his wife. And there they proclaimed, we're going to sell all of our land and give it to the church. Well, the Bible says what they did. They sold their land and gave part to the church. Now, the Bible says that God confronted him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, you have not lied to me, you have not lied to the church, but you've lied to God. And the Bible says that Ananias fell dead. And if you'll continue reading that story, you'll find that his wife Sapphira was also confronted. And she also fell dead. Both committing what I call, what I believe that John is calling sin unto death. Sold this piece of property in the name of the whole and only gave part. My friend, I want you to understand, you may lie to men, but you cannot lie to God. There is a thing called the seriousness of sin. And then there's the sin of spiritual desecration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, the Bible reminds us, It says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. You know what was happening there in the church of Corinth? The church of Corinth was quite an unusual type of church. They were participating in the Lord's Supper. And in the midst of the Lord's Supper, they were having a picnic. And they were getting drunk off of the wine of the communion table. And the Bible says that because of that, many fell dead and they died. First John chapter 3 verse 9 tells us something that is very interesting. It says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot habitually sin because he is born of God. What a tremendous truth to remind us today that a child of God cannot habitually sin and get by with it. If he does, he will experience what is called sin unto death. Very quickly, let me bring to you my last point. Look in verse 16. He turns the direction of this passage of Scripture to prayer. And he tells us that most supplication is fruitful. John encourages prayer for one kind of Christian, and he discourages prayer for the other kind of Christian. 
the reason for prayer you'll see there in verse 16. He tells us, John says, you ought to pray for the Christian, not the one that you hear who has been sinning, but the one that you have seen has sinning. Have you ever noticed of how people try to uh, uh, make their prayer requests very spiritual and when all it was was nothing but a bunch of gossip? When a brother has sinned, oh, we need to pray for our brother and we want to share with you a little bit about what he has done. And most of it's because of what we've heard. John is saying you should not be talking about what you have heard. Gossip is an amazing thing. Have you ever thought to think about it? We can sit back and and uh, be snug in our churches and think, well, you will never catch me out committing adultery, getting drunk off of wine, off of the communion table and things of that nature. You'll never find me involved in things like that, but yet we'll sit back and we'll gossip about our brothers and sisters. I want you to understand that's just as great a sin as well. There's sin of commission and there's the sin of omission when it comes to gossip. The sin of commission is that you go out and you tell others about what you have heard. And then there's the sin of omission where you should be praying to the Lord for that individual instead of talking about the individual. But then he talks about the result of prayer. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Uh, Did you realize there is a great ministry of a church that we are to pray for those who have fallen out of the fellowship of God? And out of those that who have fallen out of the fellowship of God, we need to pray for God's convicting hand to be upon them and that God would rebuke them and encourage them to come back into the fold and to the fellowship of Almighty God. God will hear us and God will answer those kinds of prayers. And then he talks about the restriction of prayer. Did you know that God says there are some people that you're not to pray for. That's rather strange. That's something we don't hear about too much. Listen to what he says there in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16. Listen to this. Therefore pray not then for them people, neither lift up cry nor pray for them, neither make intercession for me, for I will not hear them. Can you imagine praying? And God says, I won't even hear you. You know what? When I read that, they were praying for Judah and God was saying, don't even pray. They've sinned so far that I'm not even going to hear your prayers. You know what frightens me? 
they might come a day when God says, don't even pray for America. That they have gone too far. That's what he was saying. Those that have gone too far. You can pray, but it's not going to do any good. Do you see the seriousness of what I'm talking about today? But there's two kinds of death, are they not? There's a type of what is known the physical death, and there is what is known as the spiritual death. The physical death, we understand. The spiritual death, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Spiritually, if you were to die without Jesus Christ, you would go out into eternity of judgment forever and ever and ever and ever, and you would experience an eternal death. Physically, a child of God who would habitually sin and would not turn back, God would say, I'm going to take you out early so that your soul shall be saved. God help us. And be aware of the seriousness of the hour that we're living in today. Homer Lindsay said something, who is a former pastor of uh, First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. There must be a lot of people in our churches today that must not be Christians. For if there were, there would be more deaths in our pew. Because of sin in their life, unwillingly to turn away. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through. But I believe that it's not by coincidence or by accident that God led me to bring this message today. There is a strong possibility there's someone that is under the sound of my voice is about to commit the sin unto death. And God has given you one more chance to repent and to turn and to come back into the fold of Almighty God. Would you listen to Him and heed to His requests? Father, in Jesus' name, thank You so much for reminding us of the seriousness of sin. And Father, I pray that today that every single one of us would recognize your holiness and the power of that holiness. And because of that holiness, you cannot allow sin to participate in the life of a child of God, habitually. Lord, there's some people here today. I just pray that you would speak to their hearts, remind them of the hour that they're living in, and pray that the Spirit of God will move upon them like a mighty rushing wind.